Scoop, Duck, and Hi-Fi here in August. Here as the program prepares for the fall season and Georgia on the horizon. My goodness, it's getting closer every day. My name is Matt Bagley. Justin Hopkins is across the interwebs with me. And if you stay tuned in a couple of minutes, we'll have Jared Denny, Scoop Duck beat writer, who gets to see the ins and outs and comings and goings of that program every day. Uh, since it's been a couple of weeks, I want to start on a light note. My friend, I went to the Oregon Brewers Festival a couple weeks back. Had a great time. Had some breweries that I know you love, like uh, getting to try the new uh, Fort George three-way this year and uh, getting to try what Ex Novo brought out. I've had a couple of good beers is what I'm saying. Have you had a couple of good beers lately? Drank anything good? Um, let's see here. What I mean, Well, I mean, I guess to kind of back it up, I went to uh, Bend for a couple of days. We were in Bend from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, and then left Bend on Wednesday and went to Portland through Sunday. I uh, was able to go to a Timbers match. Nice. Um, ha- had an Ex Novo beer or two. Not at Ex Novo, just happened to get them. Uh, but to, so I did consume some beer to answer your question. But we had uh, six kids with us on the trip, two adults, six kids. So um, it wasn't really much of a booze cruise, if you will. <laughs> so, yeah, I wasn't able to sample anything. Uh, elite or you know super rare but yeah we were we were able to make our way around i did have oh i gotta have to look up the name um i can't remember the name i looked there was a new brewery in bend and oh i'm totally blanking on the name i have a uh, and i'll i'll have to come up with it but my point is apparently this person that started this brewery in bend and they're and they're uh, pretty small right now um was one of the original uh, founding member brewer guys of Boneyard before oh. Boneyard got super big. Whoa. Uh, okay. And, and I, and I maintain, you know, I, I believe like a lot yeah. of others that, you know, Boneyard when it first burst on the scene yes. was, was pretty elite. And um, it's not that their beers are, are bad by any means, but it certainly doesn't have kind of that same, you know, like a, like a Fort George or a great notion, kind of that elite feel to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, any longer. So uh, the beer was really good. It was just a super, just a super clean IPA, you know, somewhere around the six and a half range, but it wasn't a hazy, uh, just kind of your standard IPA and was just, I mean, just absolutely crisp and perfect. So um, I'm going to have to look it up. I'll actually have to Google it and I'll probably pop in with an, in, in like two minutes and be like, Oh, here's the name of the brewery. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you mentioned Boneyard. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, A reminder, we're, you know, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. We're talking about the Ducks. We will get into the Ducks because there's a lot to get to as Oregon tries to improve itself every day in fall camp, getting ready for a busy season and and a chance to take that top 15 ranking and climb the ladder, go a little further. Uh, but, I, but I wanted to start here just because I figured it's fun, it's comfortable. It's different from how we normally approach this. Normally, I'm too serious. Y- you mentioned Boneyard. I'm totally in agreement with you because I vividly remember I was probably 22, 23, real young, uh, living with my college roommate. And at the time, I'd been out of school for a year. He was a senior at Oregon Tech, so he still had some time. And it was like mid-August. 
my last week of freedom before I had to go cover high school football for KLAD Radio in Klamath Falls. And so I had some spending money, and he had some spending money, and we both had some free time. And we drove up to Bend, and and that was the first time either of us had been to the old tasting room at Boneyard. Like, I don't think that's still there anymore. You know, the one that was as, as big as a sardine can where they cram everybody in and you have all the uh, metal memorabilia like the Slayer t-shirts and the Iron Maiden stickers, all that stuff on the walls. Um, that was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had at a brewery in my life. Yeah, no, you're right. I, 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 I too have visited the you know, we'll call it storage room, if you will, where, yeah, you're shoulder to shoulder with people and, and, and try and boneyard beer. And, you know, at the time, like you said, we'll call it 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever. At the time, that was like, you know, that was like the benchmark, right? You yeah. got to go to Boneyard, uh, you know, Boneyard's beer was just, you know, kind of blowing up and, you know, it was 10 barrel for a while. And all of a sudden, you know, Boneyard pops on the scene and, and they're kind of the the hot name and, and obviously they got really big uh, because they were really good. Um, you know, I feel like the torch has kind of been passed a little bit. And again, it's not because Boneyard's bad. It's just, I think others have kind of pushed the envelope a little bit. Um, and it let's be real that, that kind of staying power, you know, to kind of be elite like that is, is really hard to do in the, in the craft beer market. Cause everybody's wanting, you know, the new and up and coming and, 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 oh, you got to try this. And, and that's just kind of the name of the game. Uh, and to, just so I can go back, it's Van Henyon is the name of the brewery. Okay. Uh, and as the story is told to me, that was one of the original brewmasters of Boneyard that's gone off to kind of, you know, spiral off and do this. I think they've only got a handful of beers that they make. Um, I, I know that they are in cans, but I believe it's just kind of self-distributed, uh, you know, in that central Oregon area. But uh, but yeah, like you said, experiencing Boneyard in that fashion, that's kind of that's kind of like that was a, for a lot of us. That was kind of the gateway into the craft beer scene, you know, and and I have a lot of respect for Boneyard for doing, you know, just kind of doing, you know, with the RPM and the Diablo Rojo and all the great beers that they kind of started out and and uh but yeah, there's other beers that I think you and I both drink a lot more now. I didn't get to Ex Novo, and I was really bummed because I was craving, craving the Detroit-style pizza. Um, but it sure seems like we had a lot of pizza on this trip. So <laughs> it was kind of, we had Track Town, we had Jersey Boys mm-hmm. over in Redmond. We had pizza all over the place, and, yeah. and a lot of it was really good. So. Track Town barbecue chicken, man. That, that pizza saves lives. Um, oh, yeah. let, let's talk ducks. Let's talk ducks. You wrote earlier about some of the strides Dan Lanning has made in recruiting and, and, and kind of the state of the program. Just wrapped up Saturday Night Live a couple weeks back, and now you're in fall camp getting ready for Georgia. How do you feel about Oregon right now, given what we've seen, what we've heard this August? You know, I think, um, you know, I know the coaches poll came out uh, you know, Oregon was, oh, I, if I recall correctly, going off my head, I think they were number 12 uh, is where they were ranked. Uh, and personally for me, I, I know I've kind of said quietly and, and and here and there that I think somewhere between 10 and 15 is very fair for Oregon. You've got some really good pieces on the team. Uh, you've got a pretty high level of talent uh, overall on the team. I don't know that maybe you have the depth that you would like there's certain positions that you know probably are going to need a couple guys to hit 
but you've got some pieces there. And I think if you're, if you're coming out, uh, you know, and I think best case scenario for Oregon right now is that obviously they're going to come out and play week one, uh, given the different rankings, probably between 10 and 15 in almost all of them. And Georgia is going to come out as a top five team in probably all of them. And that's a good situation for Oregon because should you go to Atlanta and should you lose that game in any fashion that's beyond like 49 to zero, mm-hmm. you know, you're probably going to come out on the other side. Okay. You might drop a couple spots. You might stay right where you are, but I've always said that if you can, you know, preseason rankings, you know, I'm not a huge fan of them, but they're not going to go away. So it's, there's no sense in arguing over them. They're, they're just going to continue to come out every year. And, uh, you know, I do feel that it's important to be somewhere inside that top 25, probably within the first week or two. Uh, otherwise, you know, your, your margin of error, your likelihood of getting into that top five range, top six range, whatever, gets really, really tough. So I like where Oregon's at. I do think it's fair ranking. Uh, and again, you know, they're, they're going to need some things to hit. I thought, um, and I know we can go into this if we want, but I thought, I thought Oregon was very smart and calculated. And I mean, Dan Lanning, I guess, if you will, in the way they attacked the transfer portal. You know, of course, they had a couple guys that left, but I think the, the pieces that they added uh, are going to pay huge dividends in this season uh, with some immediate returns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hate to do this. We always do this, but we always kind of give credit to the little brother because th- they have to do this a lot more than Oregon does. But it, it reminds me of Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. Uh, Dan Lanning didn't have an empty cupboard. Smith did, and he filled that cupboard with the transfer portal. And And I agree with you. I think at quarterback and, and in the trenches and in the secondary, the ability of Dan Lanning to say, okay, Right, it's it's not the end of the world if a guy leaves for Miami. I can go find someone in the portal. I think that has proved really valuable for Oregon this year. Well, and I I think you know, I think for Dan Lanning, uh, being a new head coach and coming in, you get a little bit more leeway, right? You get a little bit more of a pass from the existing players because. You know, if you're Mario Cristobal and you had stayed and you go and bring a transfer quarterback in in Bo Nix, right? Ty Thompson probably gets pretty upset because you have a relationship. You recruited him, you've brought him in, and here you go and bring a, a transfer guy in ahead of him. It's not to say that maybe Ty doesn't feel the, the a little bit of that still, but you know, Dan Lanning's going to get a little bit more leeway because he didn't recruit Ty. He doesn't have the relationship. He's just basically saying, "Hey, look, I see we only have this many." you know, quarterbacks on our roster, we don't have enough depth. I'm going to go get a guy. If you're the guy, Ty, just beat him out and we're good. You know, and I I think you can have that conversation a little bit easier than Mario Cristobal. You know, same with the receivers. You got Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton, two young guys, you know, played some time last year. Franklin played a little bit more, you know, obviously recruited heavily by Mario Cristobal and his staff. You know, you get Kenny Dillingham, you get Dan Lanning in here. I'm sure they like those guys, want them on the team, everything. But they look at the sheer numbers and say, hey, look, we don't have numbers. We're going to go get a couple guys to make sure, you know, because of injuries, because of other things. And I think you get a li- little bit more leeway if you're Dan Lanning and Kenny Dillingham when they do that. So I think they took advantage there. But I also think this, and, and this will be something that we can have an entire podcast on at another time. And I know Jared just jumped in, but I also think this, I believe that, Unless, 
I believe that with the current NIL setup in college football, which basically means that it's unregulated and it's mm-hmm. the wild, wild west. Right, right. Every state for themselves. Everybody's, yeah, you've got, you've got the haves. You've got Miami that obviously has huge money to spend on recruiting at NIL. And again, I need to back up. People need to understand that NIL has two different sections. You've got recruiting and you've got team NIL and they don't intercross. They're two separate entities pretty much everywhere. So I think Oregon as a school has a really good football team NIL. The guys that are there get, get, uh, you know, get good benefits. Obviously the top players like a cave Thibodeau or a Noah Sewell, you know, are going to get a little bit better deals, but that's to be expected. That's the way, you know, the market works. I think in terms of NIL recruiting and where I'm going with this, Oregon is not necessarily a have. I think they have some money, but I think they're in that second or even third tier of schools that have a budget for it. You know, Texas A&M has a big budget. Miami has a huge budget. I think Alabama has put together a bigger budget than they originally had, but, you know, they they also didn't need it. You know, Georgia's got a big budget. Those schools are going to continue to recruit you know, so recruiting is going to change. And here's what I mean. You're no longer really wanting to take a, like, like, let's say you take 25 recruits, right? With the transfer portal and with NIL, you're no longer really wanting to load up on a prep class of kids that you don't feel will contribute or don't have a ton of upside. You know, it used to be here, let's get, if we're Oregon, let's get, you know, 10, four star or five star ranked players and we'll fill the rest out with, you know, maybe a four star or two, but a bunch of three stars that we like that right. fill holes and, and fill depth. You don't do that anymore in recruiting. I think NIL and the transfer portal have changed that, that I believe schools like Oregon will now lean on the transfer portal more and more than they were a year ago. And I know Oregon State was doing that. You know, we've talked about it with Jonathan Smith and it was smart, but currently, as far as I'm aware, the players that Oregon went and brought in through the transfer portal didn't demand huge sums of NIL to come to Oregon. It was like, hey, look, you know, we've, we'll have a good deal for you when you get here, but we're not going to pay you, you know, Nico money of a million and a half dollars to come play for us. So I think Oregon will become more active in the transfer portal, at least under Dan Lanning. Um, and I do like who they brought in. And I think that's the way college football is going. If you're not bringing in guys that are going to help your team virtually right away and compete, uh, you know, maybe outside of some projects on the offensive and defensive line, because you're going to get bigger bodies there. Um, you know, you're really kind of looking for that blend of let's get recruits to do that and let's get transfer portal guys to do that. Um, so that was a really long winded answer to hopefully, I don't know, maybe folks help understand that, but I do think Oregon will stay active in the transfer portal moving forward. And I don't mean that in terms of this month or next month. I just yeah. mean throughout recruiting cycles. Well, you fired me up. I have a couple things I want to hit on, and, and then I promise we'll get Jared Denny into the conversation. Uh, he just jumped in on our, our Google Meet call a couple minutes back, still on mute, patiently waiting like the champ that he is. Um, you mentioned the fact that Oregon isn't winning a lot of these uh, transfer portal recruitings with money. And, and I think it speaks to something we've talked about for years and, and a key part of, of why you've been so successful with Scoop Duck and being the recruiting guru is it's not always about dollars, right? 
there will always be the guy that chases the bag that A&M throws at him or Bama or I read about SMU, which is so funny, right? The school that got banned for for doing this 30 years ago uh, is now doing it legally where they're offering like I think it was like 60 or 70 grand per player, something ridiculous. I, I could like do- a po- it's kind of like a poetic justice, right? <laughs> right, right. Now they're doing it again and nobody's got a problem with it. Um, but that's all they can offer right? Um, They can't offer come live in the Pacific Northwest, one of the most beautiful regions in the country. They can't offer come study in some of the best academic programs if you want to be a broadcast journalist or you want to be a lawyer, right? Some of the things, um, the business school at Oregon, some of the programs that do really, really well. Um, And they can't offer some of the football intangibles, right? Bo Nix doesn't come to Oregon because of money. Bo Nix comes to Oregon because Kenny Dillingham was his OC and, and recruited him, and and uh, and he has an opportunity to be a starting quarterback in a Power Five conference. And now on a on a top fifteen football team that if everything breaks their way, could be in the college football playoff. Right, best case scenario. Uh, Chase Cota comes to Oregon for a lot of the same reasons. Right, these guys want to be a part of the Oregon football team, and they want to be a part of a winning team and contribute on that team. And, and I think the fact that Dan Lanning understands that and can work around the financial inequalities—you can't offer the Nico money that Tennessee offered. You can't throw the bag at recruits like Texas A&M, but you can offer something else. I think that's really savvy. Well, and I and, and and transfer portal guys. Don't get me wrong. The 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 top, you know, if you're an elite player, um, you know, like Jordan Addison that ended up, you know, going to USC, you know, top ranked wide receiver in the country, you know, you're going to command something, right? But there's going to be a lot of guys up above next to Chase Cota, a Caleb Chap, a Caleb Chapman, you know, Christian Gonzalez, all these guys that you know, I'm I'm saying their names, and they're probably going to contribute at worst for Oregon this season, if not better. Yes, you know, come to Oregon, and as a transfer guy, you're not necessarily looking at, hey, let me just let me just get a bag and run. I don't, I just want the money. You're looking at, hey, where's where is there a good spot for me to go? Is is their depth chart favorable for me? Has that coach done a good job of developing his players in his position group? Because you know your clock is a lot smaller. It's it's half the size or a quarter of the size of a, of a of a high school you know prep recruit. So you're looking at things a little bit differently because ultimately, for most of those guys, the goal is getting to the NFL. And you know you're going to look at those things like, hey, will this help me get to the NFL? And I, and I think if for instance, if you're at a smaller school, you know, like SMU or whatever, you're going to gravitate towards the bigger school like Oregon or if Bama gives you an offer or whatever because you're on a bigger stage. Um, you know, so I think NIL in the transfer portal uh, definitely works a lot differently than it seems to be working at the prep level. Now, the, the prep the prep level last year in the 2022 recruiting cycle, like it was there, but like it wasn't a big, big thing. You know, A&M really got active with it. Uh, I think some others did late, but it's incredibly prevalent. Now, players that last year would have never even sniffed a dollar are, are getting pretty sizable deals. I think the deals have escalated into, you know, regions that most don't expect. And I also don't think it's sustainable. I just don't think the type of money, some of the money that we're seeing in recruiting uh, for NIL is sustainable, maybe for a year, maybe for two years. But, you know, it's almost one of those things where 
a lot of these schools might just kind of have to wait it out to see if it comes crashing down to earth, like real estate prices or, or, you know, anything like that in a market that just, you know, supply and demand dictates those things. So we'll see. NILs continues to evolve. I know Oregon fans don't like it because all they see is Phil Knight and think that there's infinite money and why not just throw it all at NIL. But, um, you know, last I checked, that's not my money. It's not our money. It's Phil Knight's money. So I guess we kind of have to trust that he's going to do the right thing with his money uh, and, and spend it as he sees fit. Damn straight. Okay, Jared Denny has been very patiently waiting. You talk about supply and demand. Uh, fans demand Oregon football content. We supply the source, the beat writer, the guy that is on the scene at practice, talking to coaches, talking to players, and getting a feel for how good this program can be as we hit mid-August and uh, Oregon's preparations for that massive matchup with the defending national champions. Jared Denny joins us next. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. He's Jared Denny. He's a beat reporter for ScoopDuck.com, and what that means, for those who may not be aware, is he gets to follow the beat of the drum that is the Oregon football program. When they practice, he's there. When they have interviews and they have their media appearances, he's got his tape recorder on, and he gets to write down articles and cover this team with reckless abandon. My friend, this is my favorite time of the year to be a football fan. Your favorite team is practicing. Some players are getting better. Some players aren't getting better. And and you have that sense of anticipation. You're counting down the days until the season gets underway. Um, for the Oregon fans out there who are feeling all those feelings, can you tell them uh, what are your expectations based on what you've seen so far and, and the conversations you've had with players and coaches? What are your expectations for this Oregon football program? Yeah, I appreciate the nice intro, Matt. And um, I, maybe this isn't the most exciting, flashy thing in the world, but I think what you, what Oregon fans can expect at this point is a, a really much more disciplined, much more cohesive, much more organized team than they saw last year, which is, um, I know, a lot of fans took issue with um, and a few things kind of related to that. And we don't get to see a whole ton of practice every day. We see the first 15 or 20 minutes and a lot of that is warm up, stretching, some special teams work, the occasional positional drill. And by the time we get kind of escorted out of practice after 20 minutes, we're all kind of like craning our necks, trying to see one more <laughs> rep or see who might be kind of the second left guard up and all that good stuff. So um, it's been a little hard to get a feel of some of those things at that point. I'm assuming we're going to see hopefully a little bit more uh, once full pads come on tomorrow, but um there's just such an effort surrounding kind of organization and doing every rep perfectly and making sure that everything is done right the first time. If it's not, then you go back and do it again. And, um, and I mean, obviously it's college football. Like every coach is demanding perfection or as close as you can get to perfection. But that's just something that I really noticed with Laning and his staff, especially during spring ball and it's carried over to now that there's such an emphasis on just doing everything the right way. And I think it's really going to lead to some good things once we start playing on Saturdays. You know, the I think, honestly, to, I'll be honest, and this isn't to degrade your work, but I think one of the biggest things with what you do and you go to practice that you, you know, can offer that maybe fans don't appreciate uh, is, is just kind of getting a sense of the vibe. And, and you can, even without somebody saying something, you can kind of see, are the players interacting, their, their posture, are the coaches upbeat, or do they look like they're beat down? and tired, you know, you are able to get that sense 
uh, you know, versus an injury report or who made this particular catch? And, and what's kind of your your feel on on that under Dan Lanning uh, after transitioning from Mario Cristobal? Yeah, it's been good. And it's not, I mean, it's it's different than Aaron Feld kind of running through the entrance area screaming like a banshee like he was every day last year, right? It's not quite that kind of, um, I guess, energy. And that, that obviously was a hallmark of Mario Cristobal's program. It's, um, it's a lot of energy, a lot of intensity at all the times at all times. And um, it, it's still very much the case in the landing staff. And um, obviously guys like Taj Lupoy are incredibly intense and expect a lot of other players. But it's like you said, the vibes are, it, it, it feels, I don't know if I'd say more relaxed, more laid back, because that's not quite it, but it just feels like there's a little bit more of a sense of assurance kind of with these players. And um, I, I think you saw them go through a really difficult kind of um onboarding period in spring where they're you know you're learning a new playbook you're in a new scheme learning Dan Lanning's defense is not an easy thing to do a lot of I remember Bennett Williams said something along the lines of um Taj and Lanning are like they're geniuses they're football geniuses and um, they expect you to pick up on a lot of that so now that that's out of the way it, it really is like a much more I would say professional vibe kind of every day when we're at practice you talk about this team working a little harder on the details this year under Coach Lanning. Are there any particular details uh, that, that you're thinking of with that statement? I mean, special teams. There's just a, a total overhauled emphasis on special teams. And Joe Lorig has come in here and done a really, really good job on kind of shaping up uh, an area that the Ducks, quite frankly, were really poor at last year. They ranked near the bottom of the country in a lot of special teams metrics, and they weren't disciplined and a lot of kind of return scenarios and there were games where it came back to bite them and landing and uh, Lori, who is um, the new special teams and um, Nichols coach has come right. in here and they've just kind of put their foot down and they're like, we're going to do this the right way. And um, it's, it, if it involves having starters on the kick return coverage, then so be it. Like they're going to put the best 11 out there for every single play. And I think you're going to see maybe, maybe it doesn't, um, kind of turn into more punt return touchdowns or seven Mickey, you know, breaking loose for these wild returns. But um, you're going to see a lot less um, of what you saw at Utah when Britton Covey's running a kickback for 76 yards or whatever it was. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon is near the top of the country when it comes to limiting special teams. Oh, that big plays. That play was such a backbreaker. I, I, I completely forgot about that. But yeah. No, man, that was that was brutal, and and I've said this for years. Um, this is there. There are a couple of things in football that the old school tape grinder mentality kind of fan uh, and the new school analytics kind of fan would agree on if they actually you know got in the same room and talked about what they believe. I think they would both agree field position changes games dramatically and and so y- y- you don't need necessarily to take out um like like you said you don't need to have all these big return touchdowns and you don't need to completely neutralize your opponent's return game but you do need to take out those Britton Covey back- backbreaker returns and maybe you know if Oregon could have a, a, a 10 yards better net or five yards better net you'd be surprised how many extra wins would rack up in a situation like that? Well, yeah, because yeah, you. Oh, go ahead, Jared. Oh no, 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 go for it. 
Well, I was just going to say, you know, to Matt's point, yeah, if you're starting at the, you know, at the 20 yard line versus say like 30 or 35 yard line, mm-hmm. you know, you have an opportunity to be a little bit more aggressive as an offensive play caller versus, you know, hey, we need to get get the chains moving and start, you know, changing the field of position. Um, and so, yeah, I think to, to maybe some of the purists and and I know in terms of analytics to college coaches, they are now really starting to hone in on special teams more and more. Um, in realizing how big of a factor that is in in the actual gameplay, um, not just the you know the the Britton Covey backbreaker plays, but just you know uh, average starting position, um, you know both on offense and defense. Yeah, and I mean, Lorig said during the spring, and I don't want to paraphrase him, but their kind of two goals are they want to own the ball and they don't want to commit penalties, and uh, that sounds so overly simple, and a lot of fans are going to roll their eyes, but if you do that, you are going to be more successful in football games, which is the goal at the end of the day. Yeah. And I know we didn't come here come here to talk all about special teams, but uh, th- that is a lot of what we've seen during those 15 minutes of practice that we get. And there is just such an emphasis on doing all the little things right to the point that, I mean, I'm sure the players are kind of sick of hearing some of the kind of cliches at this point, but it, it's going to pay off in September, October, November. See, I know, I know the fans don't sign up for 30 minutes of special teams content, but I love it, man. I, um, out of out of all the coaches on that staff, the one that I root for the most is Joe Lorig because he's the the Western Oregon guy, Oregon yeah. native, coaching at his dream school. Uh, out of all the coaches that you've interacted with, I know you you want to be impartial, you want to be objective, but is there a coach that you root for on this staff? I'm with you on Lorig, and, um, and part of it is because I grew up in a small Oregon town, and I love seeing guys like that succeed. And um, he kind of, I know a lot, there was such a divide when Lanning was hired over is Oregon losing his identity, blah blah blah. Well, this is a guy who his identity is very much the Pacific Northwest and Oregon, and um, it's, it's like you said, this is more or less his dream job, and he's um, he's treating it that way. He's going out, and he's paying attention um, to all the little details that. Oregon really was lacking last year. And I think Junior Adams, obviously, it's showing up on the recruiting trail already. He's done an incredible job. And um, that's just a guy that you can tell every time, like, you, every time I ask a player about Junior Adams, their eyes light up. Like, they just love playing for him. So and those two guys have really stood out so far. Well, and, and on that note, <clears throat> you kind of uh, segued perfectly into what I wanted to ask. I mean, what's understanding here, it's only been a few practices. I think they've only had at this point, one or two practices with actual pads on. So we don't want to get too far one way or the other on anything, but, you know, have, have players or coaches talked about anybody specifically kind of standing out so far from what they've seen. Funny enough, the name that keeps coming up is Caleb Chapman. And I think that, I mean, I wrote about him yesterday and it's a guy that not a lot of people when he committed to Oregon, I think back in April or May, um, I don't think there were huge expectations just because his numbers weren't great at Texas A&M. He was there for four years and he tore his ACL in his left knee, his freshman year, his right knee, his junior year. He had a list rank injury last year. Like he's just never really gotten a chance to go out there and put it all together. And he said the other day, he's as healthy as he's been in the last five years. And um, when we kind of asked Dan Lanning about the newcomers who stood out the other day, Chapman is one of the first names that came up and, I know that everybody loves Torrey Franklin and um, kind of that whole receiver group. And I still think that Torrey Franklin is in line to kind of get the majority of the snaps at X receiver. But Chapman just kind of offers something that the rest of that receiver room doesn't have. I mean, six foot five, he said his favorite um, route is kind of a post route, which Oregon fans are going to love to hear after 
the lack of downfield passing from last year's team. So um, it, it's still really early days, obviously, and Chapman's still kind of getting acclimated to everything. But that's a guy who I've kind of uh, started keeping an eye on at this point. I think as things progress, he's going to start to excite some people. What is this? Uh, I heard you say something, Jared. I was. What is this new concept called? passing you speak of is that, is that, is that I, I don't remember that in my uh, catalog but no on the on the heels of that too um sorry on the heels of that i know I, I know kenny dillingham was present um you know and again he's not going to give away who the starter is today or anything but did he kind of say anything that stood out in terms of the quarterbacks and what he's seen so far no he was complimentary of the little things that they've done better and i i try to get him to give sort of a ballpark data when they might looking for a starter and he wasn't even really willing to go that far. So it's still, still a little too early for all that, but um, no, he was complimentary of um, just kind of the, the strides that Ty Thompson's made in terms of maturity and um, how much more comfortable he is in the offense and sort of similar with Jay and um, with, with Jay, I think foot, the footwork is something that they're really happy with um, the progress that he's made and, with Bo, um, I think it's just getting more and more comfortable with these receivers and reacclimating himself to the system and just sort of. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to call it at this point. I'm not. I know that a lot of people are projecting that Nips is going to be the starter, and I can't blame them at this point. But um, I think he is very much becoming kind of the well-respected dude in that locker room, who a lot of guys on the offense look to as sort of the guy. Is that the most important trait? do you think uh, for for the next starter at that quarterback position, somebody that can just win the locker room? That's a really good question. And I think, it, I mean, Anthony Brown won the locker room last year. You, you couldn't find a guy in that, on that team who would say a bad thing about Anthony Brown. And then you look on Twitter and you would think he was the, the worst quarterback in America. Right. So while I do think it's important, I think it's equally important that you have to go out there and hit your receivers and, um, kind of not have the limitations that Oregon had in his passing game last season. So, um, you know, honestly, that's a really good question. I'm kind of looking forward to, as we get to talk to more of the offensive guys, because we really haven't yet, um, kind of getting to find out more of the, the chemistry dynamics that are going on there. Uh, I, man, I don't know. I guess for me, is there anything we haven't covered, Jared? I know it's been a few practices and, and very few in pads, but I mean, is there – you know, anything that maybe we haven't come up with that you're itching to tell everybody, or is it, Hey, just hang on, give us another week or two and, and we'll see. I, I guess maybe the last thing, and this is incredibly difficult to answer because I understand the viewing period is very brief, but anything on the injury front that's, that's caught your attention or stood out so far, or maybe something for fans to monitor moving forward. The only thing that stood out is how insanely healthy this roster is right now to the point that, like, we're kind of out there on the turf every day, like, looking around at the normal um, areas where the injured players are working, and you might see one or two guys, like, Michael Wooden, a freshman lineman, had a brace on his knee the second day, and it's off now. He was um, at least warming up yesterday. I, d- I didn't see if he was going through reps, but in um, Big Sala, the starting right tackle, um, missed kind of the last few days. We didn't see him at practice, and Dan Lanning. Um, kind of told us yesterday, yeah, he's dinged up. He's going to be back. It's not much to worry about. But the thing that stands out is just how healthy this team is. And anybody who's followed it the last few years um, has probably felt a little snake bitten by the amount of just sort of bizarre injuries, whether it be Kayvon Thibodeau hurting his ankle, Justin Flo playing one of the best games we've ever seen by an Oregon linebacker, and then breaking his foot um, kind of the next week. Uh, I could go on and on. Bennett Williams, it was just 
kind of hit after hit after hit last year. And um, obviously, like we said, full pageant aren't on yet. Like there's going to be little injuries and things and things like that. But for a team that even in spring ball, like Oregon had five, six, seven really key guys who didn't even partake um, in spring ball who are all healthy now. And you just kind of, what's the old cliche? The best ability is availability. Like everybody's available right now. And it's just going to, I think make them that much better to have, especially the young guys just getting those reps day after day after day if they can stay on the field. Now you guys know I'm a firm believer as a broadcaster in in what's called playing the hits. The rock station plays Zeppelin. Uh, the uh, the country station gets their uh, their George Strait and their uh, Garth and all that. For us on this podcast, when we inch close to the season in this month of August. It's always depth chart and injuries, and I and I love I love that uh, we're, we're talking depth chart and injuries because I know that's what everybody craves. It just kind of cracks me up. Like like I love that we get to talk quarterbacks when Oregon won't tell us who that starter is going to be for a while, and we get to talk injuries when I remember with the last guy, God bless him, we loved talking to Mario Cristobal. Uh, but if you ask Mario about an injury, he might give you an injury, or at least you know the perception that he would. I just love this. Yeah, yeah I think. Uh, oh, go ahead, Jared. I was gonna say, yeah, in terms of just pure injury chatter, I don't know if um, if uh, Landon is that much more talkative about injuries, but what what coaches these days, right? And, right. Um, even as somebody whose job sort of depends on getting as many details as possible about those things. Um, I don't blame a single coach who doesn't want to tell me who's injured, right? Like, what what advantage do you gain by telling us that your left guard or right guard or whoever is not going to be available that week? So um, while I don't always enjoy having to write up those practice reports, I, I, I get it, right? Um, and I, I think the important thing is, like we said, that just everybody is so healthy at this point. And I know you guys had really good conversations with Wilson Love and Jaworski Beckham kind of earlier in the year, and I think – those are two hires that are already really paying dividends. Every single guy I talk to is like, I'm faster, I'm stronger, I'm leaner. We talked to Taki Taimani yesterday. He said he's dropped from 350 pounds to like 315 pounds. And um, couldn't, like he said, both of those names multiple times during his interview in terms of just getting his body right and getting him where he needed to be and turning him into a much better athlete than he was when he arrived in Eugene, which was, I mean, what, only half a year ago. So those are that's kind of i mean justin you asked if there's anything that we haven't mentioned yet speed like this team is going to be really fast and um i think that's something that's going to stand out right away we were talking to patrick herbert the other day who has dealt with a lot of injuries and um not been able to train the way that a college football player would want to train and he said he's running like 20 miles 21 miles an hour right now which like that's a that's a really big guy running 20 miles an hour right so um everybody's just fast everybody's feeling really fast everybody's feeling explosive and I'm. I couldn't be more interested in seeing how that plays out in a kind of actual game situation. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think between the injury report and, like you said, it's basically we'll just kind of call it "quote unquote" a clean sheet at this moment, which is a great thing. Uh, and the team feeling faster. I, I, you know, I think no discredit to Aaron Feld, who we had on this on this pod several times and enjoyed our conversations with him. Um, and I think he, you know, I, here's what I think. I think Mario Cristobal. Uh, coaches a certain way and you might not like it, but that's the way he coaches. It's his job. He's going to do it that way. Dan Landing does it differently. I think Aaron Feld, you know, runs his program, his strength and conditioning program a certain way and you might not like it, but that's the way he's doing it. Obviously in conjunction with what Mario Cristobal wants. 
you know, I think Wilson loves brings a little bit something different to the table. Uh, obviously, does it his way, but it's you know one of the things I thought I, I recall reading the other day, and I can't remember who said it, but you know, basically under Feld, everybody was kind of lifting the same way. So you had offensive linemen and quarterbacks and 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 safeties, you know, lifting a, a similar way. I will assume since a player said it that it's relatively true. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm going to also make a second assumption that Wilson Love is not following that that same train of thought, which is is completely interesting to me. Yeah, that's a that's the thing that a few guys have brought up to me is kind of position player specific training, which I was to be honest a little surprised to learn wasn't happening last year for uh, a staff that was you know with Aaron felt really well respected and really highly thought of, but it's just something that seems so kind of simple and novel, but having the tight ends do things that directly benefit the skills that a tight end needs, like it's going to make you a better tight end. It's not rocket science. Right. So um, yeah, I just, I've been blown away at how kind of complimentary everybody is of this new strength staff. Yeah. That's a, that's a startling comment. Like I, I kind of understand the old way to an extent, like let's say you've got a hundred guys on a football team and you want all 100 guys to have a certain stamina level, right? They, they always would talk about the fourth quarter program. I could understand why you'd tell all 100 guys, Hey, we want you to all do this, but you don't only do this, right? Eventually you, you should be broken down into your position groups and then have a unique weight training regimen. Yeah, and I think a lot of people probably read Bruce Feldman's freak list that came out this morning, his annual thing where he kind of picks out the 100 freak athletes in college football, and Oregon had four guys on there, which was tied with Michigan and Wisconsin for the most in the country, and it's like, that, that doesn't happen by accident. Like, DJ Johnson was the number four player on that list, and he wasn't on the list at all the year before. Like, and obviously, DJ Johnson is a freak athlete. Everybody knows that, but... Right. Um, I think you're just taking these really, really elite players who um, just kind of need to fine-tune a few things, and the results are already really, really promising. Yeah, I, I think it, it. I think it's nice to see that DJ Johnson's back where you know he should be, and I think that's going to be a huge. You know that that was kind of perplexing. I know he was helping at tight end last year, and I think that's a great teammate and stuff. But I think everybody pretty much knew that his his upside and his you know his best. Uh, position was on the defensive side of the ball so that one will definitely be interesting you know along with the fact that Oregon brought in you know several defensive line transfers through the portal this year it certainly seems like uh, as we would expect Dan Lanning put a pretty heavy emphasis on that position group uh, you know to kick things off at Oregon yeah it's it's been a few years I want to say either the first or the second year we started doing the pod whenever Oregon recruited DJ I remember you telling me about how excited Coach Cristobal was to see him wreck havoc on defense. Yeah, he's a freak. I mean, like, there's a reason he made Bruce Feldman's list. He is a, a freak athlete. He's a guy that, that can move and bend, you know, in a way that we don't see oftentimes out west. So, um, you know, for a guy like that to end up at Oregon and, and be on the on the defensive line, he should, you know, quote-unquote, have a field day against you know, offense alignment. So it'll be fun to see this fall, you know, so many great storylines. And, and I know, you know, at this point, uh, Matt, you and I will probably be having Jared on every week. So I look forward to hearing more and more about it. Woo. Sounds good to me. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, man. Well, I know Justin hit this point a few minutes ago, and I'm right there too. You know, that, that beautiful, sweet moment of bliss where every question you had in your notes is checked off. Uh, Justin, is, is there anything uh, you want to say? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, I mean, uh, appreciate uh, not only that Jared's at practice, but also took the time to come on. I, you know, love to hear, I, I, like the fans, I'm always anxious to hear you know, kind of what's going on at practice and what, you know, kind of the vibe and way more so than, you know, Hey, who, who had the nicest catch of the day or who had, uh, you know, the biggest run of the day, because a lot of that stuff is pretty arbitrary at this point, but, um, you know, love to hear about the returns of the, of the strength and conditioning staff and, and the speed staff. Uh, and then uh, like, I know that we're, you and I are probably sort of in the minority, but I also love hearing about the special teams being a heavy emphasis uh, this year as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm just excited that we are that much closer to football. Like all these people are hitting me up about fantasy football, uh, you know, leagues. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, man, we're actually like that close to like football. And, you know, next thing you know, it's going to be December. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Jared? How you feeling? Going good, man. I've been waiting months for this now, and um, it's like Justin says, it, it feels a little. It it comes up on you quick, and now here we are. There's there's no practice today, and I was like, hey, I can dock up some errands in the morning, and like, um, kind of do a little bit of writing later and dig into some longer stories that I've been wanting to get to. So uh, that's been nice, but it's just been it's been fun getting back into the rhythm of kind of have um, being at practice every day and just kind of being around guys and getting a feel for what's going to be different and for a program that has so many things that are going to be different, you know? Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Well, I I think this is a good spot to uh, wrap the podcast this week. Justin Hopkins always with me. Jared Denny this week, Scoop Duck beat reporter, beat writer extraordinaire. He's been doing a great job holding down the fort this summer, and now he gets to celebrate with the return of uh, the greatest sport in our country. College football is coming back. We'll be back again soon, probably a week from now. And like Justin said, we'll, we'll try to get the three of us on. Uh, have a great day, everybody. I want to thank you for listening. And as always, go Ducks.